Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. So before we begin, I'm going to give you my few reminders. Again, go to wealthformula.com. There's lots of information on there. You can also download the newsletter, subscribe to the newsletter, I should say. You can also, if you're an accredited investor, join the Investor Club, and a number of you have done so. And uh, we will get that group going very soon with our activities. It should be a lot of fun. And finally, you know, you can all connect with me on Facebook. Just search Buck Joffrey. And also on Twitter, it's at Buck Joffrey. And also on LinkedIn, you can look for me there, too. So I'd love to uh, connect in any way we can. And hopefully I can help you and we can get to know each other a little bit. So today, it's a pretty cool show. It is uh, with Robert Kiyosaki's asset attorney, Garrett Sutton. I'll be interviewing him in a little bit. But listen here, everyone has to protect their assets. That's something that is pretty amazing to me about how many people out there are are making money and, you know, they're just putting money in their accounts and they don't even think about this stuff. And the problem is that most of us don't think about it until it's too late. And we live in an incredibly litigious society. And who knows when you might get into a fender bender or say one of your kids does and the next thing you know, you're getting sued. The time to plan for situations like this is right now, not after the fact. Because, you know, you can't suddenly throw all that money into an LLC or transfer it over to your your wife in the last second because those are called fraudulent transfers and they're very, very obvious to lawyers and you just can't get away with it. So think of asset protection as attorney repellent, okay? You spray it on as thick as you can so those bloodsuckers can't come and get you. Remember, I'm a doctor, so I have a natural aversion to attorneys. So that's why I say that, except for the attorneys on my side who I I love. And Garrett Sutton is one of those guys. He also happens to be Robert Kiyosaki's asset attorney. And although this topic may not sound sexy to you, you know, asset protection, yeah, it sounds really, really exciting, right? You're going to want to listen to this, I promise you. I mean, there are are simple, inexpensive ways to protect yourself. You can even use Kiyosaki's guide to get it done for you. And it's not that expensive. So when we come back, Rich Dad Advisor, Mr. Garrett Sutton. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility 
It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to wealthformulabanking.com. Again, that's wealthformulabanking.com. Today, my guest is attorney Garrett Sutton. He's authored several successful books for business owners, including Start Your Own Corporation, Run Your Own Corporation, Writing, Winning Business Plans, and my favorite, Loopholes of Real Estate. There's also one out there that he just released this year and, and yet another that's coming out in January, I just heard, which we will talk about a little bit later in the show. Garrett assists entrepreneurs and real estate investors from around the world to protect their assets and maximize their financial goals. And basically that's through sound management and asset protection strategies. So Garrett, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you, Buck. That was a very nice introduction. <laughs> there, very good. I mean, I, I could have kept going on and on with you, but uh, but we had to stop somewhere. So, Garrett, <laughs> listen, you're obviously a well-known guy. I mean, especially as a rich dad advisor and Robert Kiyosaki's uh, asset attorney. Tell us a little bit about your story, because I think one of the things that a lot of people are probably curious about is, you know, how you got started and ultimately how you and Robert started working together. Well, I uh, grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area and went to the University of California at Berkeley and then uh, studied business there and went across the Bay to Hastings College of the Law, which is the University of California's law school in San Francisco. So I practiced law in the Bay Area in Washington, D.C., and I kind of got tired of the crowds and the traffic and I had always spent my summers up at Lake Tahoe. So in 1989, right before the earthquake, uh, I moved up to Reno and it's been a great move. Nevada is a great state to set up entities along with Wyoming. I'm sure we'll be talking about that. Uh, as I practice law here, one of my friends became acquainted with Robert Kiyosaki. They were looking for a Nevada attorney to assist with the Rich Dad Advisors and I was lucky enough to be chosen to be the Rich Dad Advisor for Asset Protection and Corporate Structures. And it's been a great run with Robert. This summer, we went to Chile and Australia to talk about Rich Dad, Poor Dad. In uh, February, I'm going to Bolivia and Spain. So it's been quite a uh, enjoyable experience to talk to entrepreneurs from around the world about how to protect your assets, because these issues affect everybody in every country, how to protect your assets and uh, grow your wealth the right way. So it's just been really enjoyable. And along the way, I've met clients like you, Buck, and others from around the country. And uh, it's just very, very satisfying to do what I'm doing. That's great. Now, let's get very basic here because we've got a variety of listeners and a lot of them make a lot of money or, you know, they're starting to make a lot of money. Maybe, you know, I just talked to somebody who was just about to finish residency training in the next few months and was wondering what the heck to do with all this money uh, that they were going to start making. So what exactly is asset protection at a high level and who should be concerned about it? Well, at a high level, asset protection is simply, as it sounds, protecting your assets. And we live in a very litigious society. People sue each other all the time in America and increasingly throughout the world. So you need to take steps at the start, not after you've been sued, but right at the start to protect your assets so that if you face an unfortunate situation, if you have a claim against you that your insurance doesn't cover, you have some protection 
for those assets. And everybody should be concerned about it, Buck, because the society, as we said, is very litigious. We're not going to change that. This system we have is going to continue, whereby attorneys sue, they get a contingency fee, meaning they get a percentage of what is collected. And in that milieu, you'll have frivolous litigation. You'll have vexatious litigants, people who sue constantly. And in the state of California, for example, if you're considered a vexatious litigant, you're suing the judges and police officers all the time, you can be thrown out of the courthouse. You you can't sue anymore. But until you're thrown out of the courthouse, these vexatious litigants are suing all the time. So in this environment, we need to take steps to protect our assets. It's not hard to do. It's not expensive to do. You just have to do it. Well, let's say, for example, I'm, as you know, I am a physician, but say I'm a doctor then that I don't own any businesses, I don't own any real estate, but say I do own equities in the stock market, I own some bonds. Is there a way that I can protect myself with those types of assets if I'm sued personally other than just, you know, through insurance? Absolutely. If you get sued in a car wreck or in a malpractice claim, those are personal actions against you. Hopefully you're going to have insurance. Insurance is the first line of defense. I always recommend that my clients have an umbrella policy of insurance whereby your home and auto are covered and then you can buy a policy above those limits and a million dollars of coverage is, you know, in most states only $400. So I always recommend that you have insurance, but Insurance companies have an economic incentive to not cover every claim. Sure. And so we we need to have the second line of defense, which are these entities. So, for example, a professional, a doctor works for a hospital, uh, is an employee, but gets sued over an action. If all their assets, their brokerage account, their stocks and bonds and all are in their individual name, those assets can be reached by a judgment creditor, a person who's gone to uh, court and won. However, if those assets, the, the brokerage account and the other assets we mentioned, are held in an LLC, it's much more difficult for someone suing to get at those assets. They, In a strong state like Wyoming, they have to wait and get a charging order, which means They're entitled to distributions from the LLC, but they can't, like in California, New York, Utah, they can't barge in and force a sale of the assets. So in the uh, uh, illustration you described, Buck, I certainly would have an LLC for your brokerage assets. People talk a lot about living trusts and that sort of thing. How does that all come into that equation? Well, they dovetail. The uh, LLC gives you the asset protection, but it doesn't avoid probate. Conversely, the living trust helps you avoid probate. You don't have to go to court to settle your estate, and the attorneys make out quite well in probate. So the living trust avoids probate, but contrary to what many promoters say, the living trust offers no asset protection. So if you have your assets in a living trust, someone suing you can easily reach those assets. So they work together. The LLC gives you the asset protection, The LLC, in turn, is owned by your living trust, and that's what gives you the probate avoidance. 
So this is actually a really interesting point, Garrett, because I think a lot of professionals out there don't know this and typically keep their investments in their name. So if I'm hearing you right, the better way of doing that would be essentially to create an entity that, you know, it'd be like an investment company, right? Like an LLC was an investment company that essentially at that point, you manage your investments through that. Is that right? Right. And Buck, and yes, absolutely, Buck. And there's one misconception. People think, well, if I'm if I set up an LLC to hold my stock, I have to sell my stock and then buy more stock to put into the LLC. You don't do it that way. It's just a transfer of how title is held. So the stock is 100 shares of Ford are in your name and you go to your brokerage company and say, I'm going to have an LLC hold that hundred shares of Ford stock. You don't have to sell the stock. You just give them the instructions to transfer it from your name to the LLC. So there's no taxable event in this. How about your house? Obviously you can't put your own personal residence in, in an LLC, but there are certainly uh, techniques, right? Such as, you know, tenants in the entirety or something like that in, in various states. Yeah. How does that work? The first way to look at protecting your house is to check with your state's homestead law. The homestead was started in Texas in the 1830s when they were an independent republic, and it was an economic development tool to get farmers and ranchers to come down there. And basically, the law says if you're sued and someone wants to reach your personal assets in the state of Texas, they can't get the equity in your house or your ranch. And this was a a huge boon. It attracted all sorts of settlers to Texas and other states followed suit. So, for example, Texas and Florida have an unlimited homestead. If someone sues you, they can't get at your house. Other states, for example, in Nevada, it's a dollar amount. It's five hundred and fifty thousand and equity is protected. So, for example, you have a million dollar house. You've got a $450,000 first on it that the bank has first dibs on that 450, but then you've got 550,000 in equity in your Nevada house. By, by filing this simple form with the county, you can protect that 550,000 for your benefit as opposed to any later creditor. So that's the first way to protect your house. The other ways, some people do use LLCs. An LLC won't protect your house in bankruptcy, but against another creditor, it can protect your house. So, for example, you live in a state, California has a $100,000 homestead exemption and you have a $2 million house. Well, that homestead's not going to protect you as much as you know you need. So there are two strategies. One is to hold the house in an LLC. The other is to do equity stripping, which we talk about in the book, Loopholes of Real Estate. Uh, but you're right, Buck, it's a good question. You, A lot of people, their, their number one asset is their house, and we need to take steps to protect that as well. So for a lot of people who are listening to this show in particular, real estate is the preferred investment asset, rental real estate. Can you talk a little bit about your recommended asset structure for, say, rental houses, apartment buildings, et cetera? What I like to do is to protect your real estate through LLCs. You're not going to put your real estate into a corporation. It doesn't give you uh, the charging order protection we mentioned. As well, tax-wise, it's not good to put real estate into a corporation. So you're going to use an LLC. In some cases, you may use a limited partnership or LP, but the vast majority of our clients use LLCs now. 
you're going to have an LLC for each property. Perhaps you might put two or three properties in one LLC, but you wouldn't put 10 properties into one LLC because if you got sued by a tenant over one property, they could bring a lawsuit against that LLC that held 10 properties and they could get the equity in all 10 properties. So we're not going to have a target rich LLC. We're going to split it up, maybe two properties per LLC or three, depending on the equity in each property. Yeah, based sort of more on the equity rather than necessarily right. the number, right? So if you have Correct. two houses that are worth, they're $80,000 houses that you bought in Alabama, they, you might be able to fit a few more in there. Whereas right. if you're buying, you know, um, half million dollar houses or whatever, and of course, apartment buildings, um, that's typically, at least in my situation, I, I've got an LLC, separate LLC for each one of those, which is probably right. pretty typical, right? Right. Um, and then the structure, if I could explain yeah. real quick, the structure is, say you have a property in Texas and one in Utah, you'd have a Texas LLC to hold the Texas property. If you went to the county, title would be in the name of the Texas LLC, You'd have a Utah LLC for the Utah property, and then both those LLCs would be owned by one Wyoming LLC. Wyoming offers great asset protection. It offers privacy. Your name does not appear on the Internet as the owner of the Wyoming LLC. And once it's set up, the the annual fee to the state of Wyoming is only $50 a year. So you look at this as a form of insurance. This Wyoming LLC is a form of insurance And if you get sued personally, if someone's trying to reach the Texas and Utah property, they have to fight through the Wyoming LLC. And in Wyoming, all they get is that charging order. So that's generally how we uh, structure our clients' affairs. So let's talk in a little bit just, um, we've mentioned charging orders for a couple of times tonight, and I know what you're talking about. I think that might be uh, some terminology that would be useful to get back into because when we talk about the purpose of the holding company, it's really because there are different states in different states, you know, the charging order laws or weakness of the LLC is different. Can you kind of give us sort of a, you know, a high end overview of that concept? We need to distinguish between the types of attack. So in our example, if a tenant sued over the Texas property, they would that would be called the direct attack. They're uh, suing the LLC that owns the property in Texas. And the charging order doesn't apply there. It's a it's a direct case against the Texas LLC, and they can get what's ever inside there, the equity in the LLC. The charging order comes into play on the outside attack, where you get sued in a car wreck. It has nothing to do with the real estate. And they want to get at the Texas and Utah properties. Well, the rule in Wyoming and other strong states like Nevada and Delaware, the rule is the person suing in the car wreck sues you. They have a judgment against you. They want to get at the real estate. Under Wyoming law, all they get is what's called a charging order, meaning they get a lien on distributions. Whenever money is distributed to you who is in the car wreck, it goes to the car wreck victim. So they stand in your shoes to receive what comes out of the LLC. Well, you may not have money coming out of the LLC. They're sitting around waiting to get paid. And an attorney on a contingency fee case where they get a third of what they are able to collect doesn't like this position. They're sitting around waiting to be paid. They're doing more work than they wanted to. 
And so in many cases, by having enough insurance and then having all of your assets in LLCs, the attorneys are going to look to the next case. They don't want to sit around and wait to get paid through a charging order. So they collect on the insurance and then they'll go after the next insurance case. So by setting it up this way, we create a deterrent for the attorneys to go after the monies. Now, that said, if you're in a weak state like California, it's very easy for the attorney to just walk into court and say, your honor, the uh, my client was in a car wreck. They own this LLC. Uh, we'd like to get at the fourplex that's owned by this LLC. And the court will say, sure, you're entitled to it. So in California, New York, Utah, these LLCs do not provide the asset protection as they do in a good state like Nevada and Wyoming. So one question I had was, is it always the case that if you own a property in a given state that the LLC itself has to be of that state? For example, it's a Florida property. Does it have to be a Florida LLC or could you own it through a Wyoming LLC directly? You could. You could own it through a Wyoming LLC. You'd have to qualify to do business in Florida. And if you got sued by the tenant, Florida law would apply. Okay. Uh, so that's that's how it shakes out. But the out. charging orders, you would still have the benefit of the Wyoming charging order strength, right? You would, but the case law isn't clear on that. When we set clients up this way, uh, we do encourage them to have the have a Florida sure. LLC owned by a Wyoming LLC. That, I think that creates a better barrier and a better way to assert that Wyoming law applies. Got it. And then that holding company, can you just tell me a little bit, because I've actually heard a few people talk about the holding company be an LLC versus an LP. Now, I don't know a lot of the terminology, but I, as my understanding is with an LP, you'll have like a, the general partner and a limited partner. And right. that's the major difference, right? So potentially you could, you know, have the bulk of everything in the limited partner's hands and have that be, you know, 95% to the limited partner. Yeah, part. the, the limited partnership, you could have, in our example, the Texas LLC, the Utah LLC, owned by a limited partnership. That can be a holding entity as well. The, the issue with the limited partnership is you have to have two partners, uh, the limited partners are limited to what they put in, but the general partner is responsible for everything that happens. And if you're the general partner as an individual, you don't have asset protection. You're personally responsible. So the way to skin the cat is to make the general partner another corporation or LLC. Right. With and we no can assets. easily do that yeah. with no assets yeah. in it. But you've had to form two entities, yeah. tax returns on two entities instead of one with the LLC. Right. Now, that said, parents will frequently use the limited partnership because the law is very clear that with as little as 2% ownership by the general partner, they have 100% control over the limited partnership. So when you're gifting to kids, and you want to keep control until the very last moment, you could use a limited partnership gift to the kids. They have no say in how the whole entity is managed. Mom and dad with that 2% control of the general partnership have control of it. They can take a salary. They could pay for their health care. There's a lot of things mom and dad can do with that general partner interest. So, you know, it, it just depends on what your 
facts and circumstances are. But the key thing to know is there's a lot of flexibility here in structuring your affairs and and accomplishing what you want out of everything. One more um, specific question I have is that a number of my listeners are either syndicating real estate, being the sponsor, or they're investing as limited partners in syndications. In your in your view, what's the best way to set up a syndication to maximize protection for both the syndicator and the investor? Well, there are a couple ways to do it. If you have a straight LLC and you're an investor in the LLC, you're protected. Some of my clients will have a number of syndicated interests that they hold through their own Wyoming LLC for the better protection. Sometimes in syndications, you will have corporations. The corporation is the best way to go public. You don't see LLCs or too many LPs go public. So you would have a corporation and you would be a shareholder in the corporation. Nevada is the only state that has the charging order protection for corporate shares. So if someone's syndicating through a corporation, I would certainly use a Nevada corporation to move forward. But say you're a 60% shareholder in a corporation, Buck, and you get sued, someone could get at those six, the, the, your shares sure. with 60% of the company, they could force a sale of the assets. So in that case, you certainly would want a Nevada corporation whereby all they get is the charging order, the lien on distributions. And you're not letting them inside the company making decisions that are not in everybody's best interest. I wanted to switch a little bit off topic. And this, this, we talked a little bit about this. You mentioned earlier this concept of equity stripping, which I think is actually a really interesting concept. And I really only learned about it um, about a year ago. Can you explain how this concept works a little bit? Sure. Well, the basic concept is that debt is a form of asset protection, right? When you have a $100,000 property and the bank has a first deed of trust securing an $80,000 loan, there's only $20,000 in equity there for someone to get. And, you know, no one's going to go after $20,000 after attorney's fees and everything else. It's not worth it. So that, that first deed of trust to the bank is a form of asset protection. Well, let's say you own the property free and clear and you don't have any debt on the property. So how can we get that asset protection in the form of debt? Well, you can have a Wyoming LLC, for example, provide a line of credit. The line of credit says we will lend you $100,000 when you need it. To secure that line of credit, you have a first deed of trust going from the LLC that owns the property back to the Wyoming LLC that provided the line of credit. When someone is looking at the county records to see if they should sue or not, they see that the property is fully encumbered, right? There's that first deed of trust securing a line of credit on it. That may deter them from suing. Now, if you get called into court on this, you have to tell the truth. You have to say that uh, this uh, line of credit was not tapped and the equity is there. Or you could lend the money to the LLC and, and take out the line of credit for attorney's fees or whatever else you need. So these are some of the strategies. And 
as you mentioned, we talk about it in the book, Loopholes of Real Estate, uh, how to do the equity stripping. But the, the major concept, Buck, is that debt is a form of asset protection. You can use debt to your advantage to protect your assets. Yeah, that's an important point, you know, especially for those of you out there who are really interested in paying off the mortgage on your rental right. houses and so on and so forth. It, you know, be careful what you wish for, because this is something you're going to have exposure to. And then just to follow up on that, I love this concept because basically what we're talking about is, okay, if you, if you have equity, you might have a, another company that basically you're setting up. You have to have some real filing, a lien filing or UCC filing. It has to all be present in order for it to be effective. But it is a very good idea, you know, if you have a lot of assets as a deterrent, because as I think we all know, especially those of us um, who are big targets, sometimes it's really, you know, they, they want to know what they can get before they want to go after you. You're absolutely right, Buck. Private investigators will go out and see what you own and determine whether it makes sense for the attorney to go after you. If you can keep a low profile uh, if you use Wyoming LLCs and and they're not expensive to set up. I mean, if you mention Rich Dad, it's five hundred and ninety five dollars to set up a Wyoming LLC plus a hundred dollar state filing fee. This is not an expensive procedure here. But by using Wyoming LLCs where your name does not appear on the Internet, someone can't access information that you have a lot of assets. That's a good thing in our litigious society. So when you meet a client for the first time, say somebody who's got some money and who's really not done much homework on this stuff, what do you think the first, when you first start speaking, what's the most common misconception that people have about asset protection? I would say the most common one, Buck, is that they believe that when they're starting out, they don't need asset protection. You know, they get that first property and they don't have assets. They don't, they don't have a need to protect a lot of assets, even though they have a few. The issue, though, is if you get sued, that judgment can be renewed every seven years. So if you get sued and have a judgment against you, whether you have assets or not, that's hanging over you. By having the structures set up right at the start, you're protecting yourself from here on out. If you get sued on over a duplex that you own in your individual name, they can get the duplex. They can get all of your other personal assets, including future earnings. So you want to take these steps now at the start to protect yourself. That makes a lot of sense. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk. You've got a couple of exciting things. This, I think this year you, you released Toxic Client, a book about knowing and avoiding problem customers. Can you tell us right. a little bit about that? Yeah, and this is good for real estate investors. A number of my real estate investor clients have really found this book useful because it applies equally to business owners who deal with customers, but as well as to real estate investors who deal with problem tenants. So it's about knowing who's going to be a bad client. One of the premises of the book is not every client is a good client. You know, we're always kind of taught that when you get started in business, you got to take anything that walks in the door. Well, no, you don't. Uh, some of those people walking in the door are going to create all sorts of problems for you. And so if you can identify the signs of a problem customer up front and avoid them, you're going to you're going to succeed yeah. in business. Uh, you know, we talk about how is, is the customer really always right? You know, if the customer won't pay you, if they 
treat your staff with disrespect if they make all these demands on you. No, the customer is not always right. And so you have to be choosy in who you take. And so we talk about issues like mental health, uh, drugs and alcohol. Uh, we talk about entitlementia, you know, the the combination of, of dementia and entitlement, which uh, <laughs> many people in our society have now. You know, these are all things that real estate investors and business owners have to think about. And uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, one of my clients said, you know, I'm giving this book to clients I fire. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Sort kind of of, lovely party that's thing. right. That's right. <laughs> that's a nice way to tell them what you think of them without actually right. without doing it. And then you have another book coming out right in, in January. Correct, Buck. Yeah. I, I uh, have written I started in 2001 and it's called How to Use limited liability companies and limited partnerships. And in 2009, I brought out the third edition. Well, the law keeps changing. These LLCs and LPs, it's a dynamic area of the law. And so I have updated it for 2017. And I have new chapters on single member LLCs. There are new issues there. On the series LLC, there's issues around the series LLC. I don't like them which is written up in the book, but it comes out January 10th and uh, I'm excited about it. It really lays out how to use these LLCs and LPs to your advantage. I'm glad you mentioned we won't go into it much detail, but I've heard nothing good about the series LLCs and, and a lot of people talk about them, but it sounds like there's just not a whole lot of advantage to it. And and there are a lot of misconceptions to it too. Yeah. Uh, But I'll tell you, the American Bar Association, all the top attorneys uh, on LLCs got together and they looked at the series LLC and the top attorneys in the country said, we are not endorsing the series LLC. So that's good enough for me. We go into all the reasons in the book. That should be good enough for all of our listeners on there, too. So tell us a little bit about Corporate Direct. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, and I think uh, one of the misconceptions that people might have is, well, hey, we got uh, Robert Kiyosaki's asset attorney here. That means I can't afford him. <laughs> so ah, right. so tell us about Corporate Direct, because I well, know the truth. And Robert Kiyosaki told me, you need to have a company that everyone can afford. Right. So that was my charge from Robert Kiyosaki. So we provide uh, a complete package. If you form a corporation or an LLC, we file the articles, we do, we tailor it. So it's not you filling in the blanks. We tailor the documents for your specific situation, the operating agreement, the minutes, the certificates, all of that. And it's you normally $695, but if you mention Rich Dad, it's $595. It's not hard to set these up. The filing fees vary from state to state. So on top of the $595 is the state filing fee. And then we maintain these corporations. There's no use setting up a corporation or LLC and then failing to maintain it. Corporate formalities you have to follow every year. They're not hard to follow. But if you don't follow them, you can lose your asset protection. They can pierce the corporate veil and reach your personal assets. So not only do we set them up, but we maintain them for you. We work with you to make sure your asset protection is in place. Uh, So, you know, we we have thousands of clients around the country, around the world. And if you call, you can get a free 15 minute consult with one of our incorporating specialists. So if I can give the number. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 800-600-1760. 
is Corporate Direct, 800-600-1760. Or you can just go to corporatedirect.com. We have a lot of resources there, articles, information that uh, many of your listeners, I think, would find useful. What if somebody wants to talk to you about, you know, they have some, uh, you know, some sophisticated stuff and they want to get a hold of you and come up with some kind of a plan? How do we get a hold of you? Well, I'm available for phone consults. If for a half hour is 197.50, and the reason it's that number is my hourly rate is 395. But usually in half an hour, we have you send in information about what you are trying to do so that when I get on the phone with you, we don't spend 15 minutes understanding your situation. Once I get on the phone with you, I've read your situation and we jump right into how we can structure things to your advantage. So in half an hour, usually we can come up with a plan. Ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, Garrett Sutton, the Rich Dad Advisor of Robert Kiyosaki and his asset attorney. And this is Buck Joffrey with Wealth Formula Podcast. And uh, Garrett, I just want to thank you very much for joining us today and uh, really appreciate your time and hope you'll join us again in the near future. Buck, it's been a pleasure and good luck to all your listeners in their investing and asset protection activities. I think, you know, you providing this information to your listeners is a great service. So thank you for that. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.